0: Billie Eilish got doxxed. WhatsApp is helping to circumvent censorship, a brand new set of car hacks, an important update to quantum computers and encryption, that's a good one, and more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 116, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the last week. I am Henry from TechLore. I am Nathan from The New Oil. As always, this week, we are going to have our promo segment, which is, if you enjoy this podcast and want to keep supporting this completely free podcast, feel free to join our Patreon, where you can directly support us, and you get some exclusive perks in the process, which are currently being redone. If you're already a patron, you'll already see that we posted something, and we're looking for your feedback on some things, so please go ahead and check out that post and leave any feedback that you have for us. And if you're not a patron, consider joining and you'll get access to things like a Q&A, which we'll get to at the end of this episode today, as well as things like uh, promo-free segments and other nifty stuff. If you want to support this podcast without having to go through Patreon, we also support Monero, which is a very private way of supporting us without any central parties. The ability to support us via either of those methods is down in the description, so go ahead and check that out.
1: All right, our highlight story this week is about pop star Billie Eilish. And the headline says Citizen app doxes Billie Eilish's family home to tens of thousands of people. So, Citizen is an app that we have notoriously criticized. It used to be called Vigilante. The basic oversimplification is that it allows everyday users to report a crime. I think the goal is supposed to be some combination of like urging police to action because, you know, if you're reporting a lot of crimes in a certain area, then. It kind of lets police know like there's a crime outbreak here. You should go do something. and also makes them look bad because there's a crime outbreak there and they're probably not doing anything about it. And then there's also on the plus side, I could see the value of this. There's also just letting people know if there's a crime trend in the area, like if there's a rash of break-ins in a particular community, something like that. They do have a notoriously sketchy past. We've covered them on previous surveillance reports. Anyways, this particular story Apparently, the app notifies you when police are responding to an incident in the area. This is how the app ended up pushing out a push notification to 178,000 users in the area that said that police were responding to a specific address. I think that might be a little bit much. They could probably just say, you know, the corner of here and there or something like that. Anyways, you could think that's like an oversight, right? Like they pushed out the specific address and it just so happened to belong to her. Well... They pushed out another notification later with updated information where the police said that the home belonged to Billie Eilish. And for those of you who don't know, Billie Eilish is a teenager. She might be like 20 now or something like that, but she's very young. And most female celebrities who achieve stardom at a young age, like she did, tend to be highly sexualized. Like Emma Watson talked about when she was turning 18, a lot of radio's channels were doing like a countdown to her 18th birthday, which is creepy on so many freaking levels. So she's young. She's been highly sexualized. And is currently one of the most famous pop stars on the planet. So just pushing out a, a notification on a free app to thousands of users in one of the most heavily populated cities in the US saying like, hey, world famous pop star lives here. Like, yeah, a lot of things went wrong there to make that happen. I guess uh, the moral, I mean, we've never really been fans of Citizen, the, the app around here, but I'm sure it's not the only one like this. I know, Um, I think Amazon owns the one neighborhood or something like that, which is very similar it doesn't focus so much on the crime aspect so much as it does on the neighborhood community aspect but these apps are still kind of dangerous and you need to be really careful of them and the information that gets put on them unfortunately i don't know if there's anything anybody could have done about this one other than like not calling the cops which
0: I, i'm not going to recommend that you got any thoughts or takeaways or anything um, i just quickly looked it up apparently this is not her main house and apparently it was burglarized which is what uh, originally prompted this but yes. it's not clear what was stolen if anything was stolen and yeah that's really all the information that there is on it right now it's important to know that like this crowdsourcing app puts a lot of people in jeopardy and it reminds me of things is citizen the one where like you post like burglars or is that like an Amazon ring built-in feature what's it called package thieves
1: oh that's that's um, more of a ring thing you could probably still report it on Citizen and say, like, hey, a package was stolen off my my uh, porch this morning, but it's not like Ring where it automatically records
0: footage, and then you can, like, put that on the internet. Either way, what I'm saying is I, I, I think this probably applies to just a broader issue, which is, like, there's not very much oversight, and there's not much control that individuals have when it comes to sharing more or less public info about anyone on the internet. And I think that it's just a broader issue. Like, there's nothing stopping someone from recording Billy Eilish just driving down the street if they know it's their car and then posting it on Instagram and attaching a location to it. So I'm just curious if there's ever going to be a better way of dealing with that issue. Or if things are just going to progressively get worse as technology evolves with time. The biggest takeaway here is just don't become famous for me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Keep well, things low-key. It's why I haven't been uploading as consistently. I was going to say, well, crap, dude, um, then I quit. You're on your own. <laughs> later. Yeah. <laughs> Up next, data breaches. So we're going to start with the first story. Cybercriminals have claimed a ransomware attack on Los Angeles Housing Authority. So the Housing Authority of the city of Los Angeles, which is the HACLA, provides affordable housing to more than 19,000 families. A listing was added to LockBit's side on December 31st, claiming they have 15 terabytes of data. Screenshots suggest it includes personal data of people seeking assistance, plus data from payroll, HR, and accounting. They haven't yet officially acknowledged anything, only saying they're suffering from a, quote, cyber event and a, quote, disruption. So I'm sure we're going to have an update to this. So stay subscribed. Our next data breach comes from rail giant
1: Wabtec, who was also hit by Lockbit. Wabtec is a U.S.-based company producing, quote, state-of-the-art locomotives and rail systems, unquote. The article says that about 20% of the world's freight moves on a Wabtec locomotive. The breach may have happened as early as March of 2022, Lockbit published the data August 20th, so presumably there was some negotiations there that didn't work out. The data includes full name, date of birth, non-U.S. national ID numbers, passport numbers, IP addresses, photos, genders, salaries, social security numbers, tons of financial data, which the article actually outlines, but we're just summarizing here, account, username, and password, biometric information, race, ethnicity, criminal history, sexual orientation, religious beliefs, and union affiliation. And like always, I don't I don't understand why some of that information needed to be in a a worker's file. Like, I don't understand. I I mean, I guess sexual orientation, maybe that was caught up if, you know, if I'm married and I put my husband on health care, then obviously that could be inferred. But like religious beliefs and and some of this stuff, I don't understand why it was in there in the first place. But I digress.
0: Next data breach, 200 million Twitter users' email addresses were allegedly leaked online. A data leak described as containing email addresses for over 200 million Twitter users has been published on a popular hacking forum for about $2. Bleeping Computer has confirmed the validity of many of the email addresses. It's worth mentioning this is likely just more of the same data that was already gathered years ago before Twitter fixed their flaws in January 2022. So this isn't necessarily a new breach, but it just might be a new consolidation of previous data.
1: I could be wrong about this, but if you guys follow the headlines, you've probably noticed like a lot of famous people have been getting hacked lately on Twitter, and I think this is related to that. Our next story, U.S. Family Planning Nonprofit MFHS says medical patient data stolen in ransomware attack. MFHS is the maternal and family health services. This includes names, addresses, dates of birth, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, financial account data, payment card info, usernames, passwords, and medical and health insurance of current and former patients, employees, and vendors. Kitchen sink not included. So they were made aware of this incident in April of 2022, but the compromise may go as far back as August of 2021. I just, you know, this one and the one before about like the rail company, real short soapbox. We really need laws about timely disclosures. This took nine months. There were babies conceived and born in the time that it took for them to admit that this data breach happened from when they were made aware. Like it's not even it happened in April and they just found out they knew about it in April. That's just ridiculous. There's no excuse for that. We really need laws telling companies, like, you have to disclose data breaches in a timely manner. It's just ridiculous.
0: I don't think we included it this week for time purposes, but the FCC did come forward and they're trying to have a seven day period I saw for that. only carriers. Actually,
1: it's the other way around. So, right now, carriers can't report it in less than seven days. Because of something about like they have to do their due diligence and research and stuff. But the FCC finally came forward and they were like, hey, that's a whole week where cyber criminals can start selling this data, stealing identities, accessing accounts. Like that's ridiculous. We need to
0: shorten that. Up next, the personal information of job applicants to five guys burger chain exposed in data breach. This includes names, driver's license information, social security numbers, and possibly more. Personal note. I'm not a huge burger fan, for those who probably follow me on Mastodon, but um, I did try Five Guys once. It was extremely overrated. That's all I'm going to say there. And expensive. It was so expensive. I'm trying to remember here, actually. I think I got a grilled cheese from Five Guys. And it was 7 dollars 5 and it was like 300 calories. I was like, wow, I could eat like four of these, and I would leave here spending $30. It's, it's like ridiculous. I do not recommend Five Guys, but...
1: I mean, I think they're okay, but I agree with you. Like a lot of people are just like, oh my God, they're like the best burger joint ever. And I'm like, they're
0: okay. Like I'll go there. I don't mind them, but they're certainly not at the top of my list. That's what I heard. So I wasn't eating meat then, but the person I was with, they did and they ate it and they said it was okay. But we looked at the price and the amount of calories and we're like, this is one of the worst values that you could ever get, even from like a fast food burger place. So like the value proposition is like ridiculous for five guys. I mean, let me go on their website. Like You you would think they're using that money to have like better cybersecurity, right?
1: <laughs> the new Surveillance Report podcast where we review fast food places and which one is the best bang for your buck and which one hasn't had a data breach yet. Okay, well, while Henry checks that out, we're going to talk about another burger place, or not a burger place, that had a data breach, and that was Chick-fil-A. This affected members of the Chick-fil-A One Membership Program, which is just the rewards program. There's not a lot of information yet. This actually hit my news feed, like, gosh, like 8 p.m. last night or something. So this is like brand, brand new. But customers are being advised to change their passwords and remove any stored payment methods just out of an abundance of caution. It seems that account access is already being sold online. And I mean, people are... Doing what you would expect. They're logging into someone else's account and they're buying food with someone else's points or money. Account creation is temporarily disabled and disposable email email addresses have been banned. I understand why they do that, but that's also so frustrating because it's like now you're screwing over the rest of us who are legitimate law abiding citizens who are trying to be proactive and protect our email addresses and stuff like that. And
0: now we're just getting screwed. So I looked it up. <laughs> What's the verdict? Okay, so I was a little off. So after tax, it's seven dollars and ten cents for a grilled cheese. So I was forty cents off of my original statement. I mean, I could rant about Chick Fil A the whole day as well, but I'm, I think I, I just I could just rant about like fast food restaurants in general. I'm I'm a very anti fast food. Well, how about you rant about the University
1: of Technology instead?
0: All right. So the next story, the Royal Ransomware Claims Attack on Queensland University Technology. QUT is one of the largest universities in Australia. The school is claiming no evidence of data compromise, while Royal has already begun leaking data they claim came from the school, including HR files, emails, and letter communications, ID cards and documents, and financial and administrative documents. They say this is only 10% of the data stolen. So... Hopefully that gets resolved, and I'm sure we're going to have an update next week. Next up on the
1: data breaches, Air France and KLM are notifying customers of account hacks. So this affected customers who were using Flying Blue, which is the loyalty program for Air France, KLM, Transavia, Air Kalen, Kenya Airways, and Terum. They claimed that, quote, the attack was blocked in time and no miles were charged, unquote, but they are still urging a password reset for all users anyways, if any data was accessed, which, you know... Historically, usually they come out after the fact and say, oh, turns out we were wrong. Some data got stolen. If any data was accessed, it could include names, email addresses, phone numbers, latest transactions, and flying blue information such as uh,
0: balance, miles, balance, like how many miles you've got. So up next, CircleCI warns of a security breach. So make sure to rotate your secrets. Um, This is a software development service that claims to have more than 1 million users. Keep in mind, this is aimed at software developers, so you've probably never heard of this. If you are a software developer, then this is really something you should know about. The investigation is still ongoing, but they've already warned users to rotate keys just to be safe. Keep in mind, they actually have come forward and said, if I read this correctly, they even said they haven't found evidence of this actually being misused yet. But they've been proactive and have already warned people to rotate secrets and keys just in case. That's how you properly disclose an incident, at LastPass. Speaking of, Slack's private GitHub code repositories were stolen over
1: the holidays. Quoting the article a little bit, the incident involves threat actors gaining access to Slack's externally hosted GitHub repositories via a limited number of Slack employee tokens that were stolen, unquote. So some private repos were breached, but the quote-unquote primary code base and customer data were unaffected. The company has invalidated all of the stolen tokens that allowed this access and rotated keys out of caution. So far so good, but a quick ding against Slack, Bleeping Computer, who did this article, they note that Slack appears to be trying to bury the story. If you look at the meta tags in the HTML, they have added a no index tag, which instructs search engines not to index the story. So if you looked up like Slack data breach or something, this wouldn't show up on your search, except for, um... Oh, gosh, I didn't write it down, but uh, I think it's the FTC. It's whatever government agency they report data breaches to. They did republish the story and they did not include a no index. So, you know, thankful for that, I guess. But shame on you,
0: Slack, for trying to bury the story and make sure it doesn't show up in searches. That's not cool. And the last data breach of the week is from Rackspace. Customer email data accessed in ransomware attack. So this is an update to an older story. The attackers gained access to the personal storage folders of 27 Rackspace customers, which contains data like emails, calendar data, contacts, and tasks. Rackspace claims there's no evidence that the attackers viewed, obtained, misused, or disseminated any of the data. While Rackspace says there is no evidence that the threat actors accessed customer data, history has shown that this invariably is not the case. Bleeping Computer was pretty savage when they said that. That was a quote from Bleeping Computer, not me.
1: All right. With that, we'll move into companies and we're going to start with a pretty interesting one. WhatsApp has launched a proxy tool to fight internet censorship. Quoting the article, the company is making it possible for people facing censorship to use WhatsApp through proxy connections, potentially allowing them to communicate when a country has blocked the app, unquote. So, I mean, that's pretty much the gist of it. The article just talks about how, um, you know, you look at countries like Iran, for example, which is quite recent, uh, still ongoing. Actually, it's kind of falling out of the news cycle, but from what I understand, it is still going strong. So, But, you know, and and the Arab Spring, which happened all the way back in like 2011 or something. But, you know, countries will repeatedly try to censor parts of the Internet or block the Internet black out the Internet entirely in order to uh, stop people from organizing. And WhatsApp is, for better or worse, a very popular tool in many parts of the world, one that people sometimes use for that organizing. So WhatsApp has launched a proxy tool so that people can try to coordinate and still communicate even in times like that. So I am still the very first person to criticize Meta. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. But credit
0: where it's due, that's pretty cool. It is cool, and I'm glad people have access to another end-to-end encrypted messenger. With that said, I'm a little bit more cynical about this story because if I am in a situation where I'm trying to access an end-to-end encrypted messenger in a country that is not allowing me to access them, I wouldn't want to be using WhatsApp, and WhatsApp isn't actually offering a good enough service to protect those users either, so I would actually if you are able to access WhatsApp, I would proceed with a lot of caution if you're in those countries. Um, I would not share anything sensitive over there. It is end-to-end encrypted, but there's a, a buttload of metadata they're collecting that can still put you in, in harm's way. So. And there's only one more company story, and it is that LastPass is being sued over woefully insufficient security. So someone has filed a petition for a lawsuit against the password management service provider LastPass. The plaintiff alleges that the company's data security failures led to two data breaches last year, and one plaintiff claims they lost $53,000 in Bitcoin as a result of the compromise. This is a follow-up to especially the most recent LastPass data breach that happened, which has kind of been unfolding and is one of their multiple incidents that's happened in the last several years. If you want to be up to date on that look up the old surveillance reports i believe the last episode was about last pass another shameless
1: plug as always firewalls don't stop dragons also has a whole episode where he talks about it with somebody so
0: yeah it's it's bad and keep in mind like we haven't suggested last pass for a long time i believe carrie from firewalls don't stop dragons used to recommend last pass And even after this incident, he's like, I can't do this. Like, this is just impossible. Like, it's bad. What they did was bad. And they have done nothing to, like, reassure people that they're actually doing anything to fix it. So that's really the big problem here. With that, let's jump into our research
1: section. And we've got some interesting research. Don't panic, because some of it sounds a little scary. So this first one comes from Bruce Schneier. It says, breaking RSA with a quantum computer. Bruce Schneier, for those who don't know, is a cryptography expert. He actually invented... I think it was Two Fish Encryption. He knows his stuff. He's a real smart guy. He is citing a Chinese research paper that was just published this week. In this paper, researchers claim that they have figured out a way to crack 2048-bit RSA encryption. They haven't actually done it because they don't have access to a computer with the necessary power, but they did test a smaller scale idea on a less powerful computer. This is another one of those blog posts that kind of goes over our heads, so we're really simplifying here. Schneier notes that the required computer like a a computer that would be powerful enough to to do this in theory does currently exist. And for example, he cites IBM's Osprey computer. So we're not talking about something that's going to exist in the next five, 10, 20 years at, you know, Google or NSA, like it does already exist granted at IBM, which is still out of reach of most people, but does exist again, document is highly technical, but for those of you who understand this stuff and want the details, go ahead and check it out. However, Schneier um, kind of added a little thing at the end where he's like, I don't think you should panic yet. Number one, the results are untested. So he's like, it's not, what what was the phrase he used? He said, um, it's not obviously wrong. So you don't look at it and just be like, oh, these guys are idiots. But at the same time, it's, you know, we haven't proven it for sure. And also the thing that kind of like really talked him off the edge, he's like, it relies on a controversial technique, which again is all outlined in the paper that doesn't seem to scale very well. So it may have worked on like the smaller tests they did, but he's not convinced that it'll actually scale the way that they claim it would. Like I said, all of that was a gross oversimplification. Check out the article if you want to know more. But again, he really knows his stuff, so it's something to keep an eye on, but it sounds like you don't need to
0: head for the hills just yet. Also, I did want to outline this is 2048-bit RSA. A lot of things are using 4096 now, so that is kind of just delaying the issue. But if you want to be extra sure, like I know VPNs nowadays, you can like customize that on a lot of VPNs to 4096-bit. You can do that in uh, ProtonMail, too. You can go in and tell it
1: to start using 4096. I think you can even tell it to use ECC,
0: which I think is better than RSA, but don't quote me. Yeah, there's options. And I think some things are already starting to use quantum-resistant encryption. I think Tutanota does that. Yep. And who else does that? There was someone else. Tutanota, Mulvad? Uh, Mulvad,
1: Mulvad does it on their VPN tunnels.
0: Yeah, so there's options too if this is something you're concerned about. Up next, Toyota, Mercedes, BMW all had API flaws that exposed owners' personal information. Man, the car companies are really bad with this stuff. This is a very common theme. So almost 20 car manufacturers and services contained API security vulnerabilities that could have allowed hackers to perform malicious activities ranging from unlocking, starting, and tracking cars to exposing personal information. The security flaws impacted well-known brands, including BMW, Rolls-Royce, Mercedes, Mercedes Mercedes-Benz, Ferrari, Porsche, Jaguar, Land Rover, Ford, Kia, Honda, Infiniti, Nissan, Acura, Hyundai, Toyota, and Genesis. The vulnerabilities also affected vehicle technology brands Spirion and Reviver, which I haven't heard of, and streaming services like Sirius XM. The vendors have fixed all these issues. It's unclear if this is an expansion of that 2022 issue, which I believe we covered, or something new. But either way, it's something to keep an eye on. We get a lot of questions here, at least on a Techler side, of like cars. Um, most new cars are pretty, pretty problematic and... I don't think the option of just get an old car is actually a feasible long-term solution to this problem. As much as people want that to be a solution and just drive around their car from the 60s for the next 100 years, I just don't think that's really an option. So we're probably going to have to explore some better options going forward here. And I won't be surprised in like 20 years if we see like an open source car or something, which would be neat.
1: (laughs) I don't know if he still recommends this, but just FYI, in uh, I think the second edition of Extreme Privacy, Michael Basil recommended when you buy a car, just ask the dealership to disconnect the modem. And most of them will like, they'll probably think you're weird. They'll probably like fight you on it. Be like, but why? But don't you want all these sweet features and blah, blah, blah. And just, just be like, no, it's cool. I just, please unplug it. And they'll just, I mean, that's all they have to do is just, they know where it is. And there's just a, a power cable or something. They just have to go in and unplug. So our next story is just an interesting little bit of research. It says ransomware impacts over 200 government education and healthcare orgs in 2022. So for clarity, it was... Over 200 total, not 200 each. This data was collected from public data, like reports, disclosures filed with the state, and leaks on the dark web. So it's worth noting that the actual numbers are likely much higher because the U.S. does not have any disclosure requirements, and a lot of companies probably don't report this stuff unless they're forced
0: into it. Cough, cough, Uber in 2016. So the last research article of the week, hundreds of WordPress sites are infected by a recently discovered backdoor. So, malware that exploits unpatched vulnerabilities in 30 different WordPress plugins has infected hundreds, if not thousands, of websites and may have been active for years. It gets installed by exploiting already patched vulnerabilities and plugins. Important detail there that I'm sure many long term listeners will catch and we'll talk about soon. That website owners use to add functionality like live chat and metrics reporting to the core WordPress content management system quote If sites use outdated versions of such add-ons lacking crucial fixes, the targeted web pages are injected with malicious javascripts. As a result, when users click on any area of an un- of an attacked page, they are redirected to other sites. The article includes the list of the plugins if you are interested. It's also worth mentioning that the researchers found two versions of the backdoor and they're both linux-based. And they said the malware may have been in use for years. I do want to say that WordPress plugins have been a common means for infecting sites for a long time. WordPress itself is fairly secure and robust. It's the plugins and extensions, which actually carries over to a lot of different things like browsers. So just make sure that you are limiting the extensions and plugins that you use on WordPress, your browser, and really any capacity. And if you do use them, make sure they're always up to date because the real issue here was that people weren't updating them to fix these crucial fixes that the backdoors were reliant on to to actually execute whatever they were trying to do also linux isn't foolproof
1: moving on to politics this one i saw pop up on a lot of headlines over and over again meta was fined 390 million euros in a latest european privacy crackdown so this was actually two fines totaling 414 million dollars usd 390 million eu from the irish data protection commission ireland's on fire with this stuff man They also quote, banned the company from forcing users in the 27 nation block to agree to personalized ads based on their online activity, unquote. So basically I guess Meta can't force you to agree to personalized ads. I don't know if that means they have to give you a little opt out button or if they have to like, I don't know. Cause I mean, usually I mean, I'm sure you guys know this if you watch the show, but usually when you sign up for a, a website, it's basically like take it or GTFO. You can agree to all of the data harvesting or you can screw off and I mean, to be fair, they didn't say they were going to stop data harvesting. They just said they'd stop doing personalized ads. So it probably be like a toggle in the settings or something. Anyways, there is a third decision involving WhatsApp that is expected later this month. The article didn't really go into detail on that. But when that probably
0: inevitably comes across our news feeds, we'll go ahead and throw it in the notes and let you guys know about it. Next story. US states' long awaited data privacy laws are starting to go into effect. So, Virginia and California are effective immediately. California's is an update to CCPA, not a new one. And Colorado and Connecticut are following in July and Utah on December 31st. Was this published before the new year? Is that. Is this no, 2020? this was uh, right, uh, right after, after the
1: new year. So, Virginia and California went into effect January 1st, I think.
0: And then Colorado and Connecticut are at the end of the year.
1: Yes. Or they already Our, Colorado and Connecticut will be in July and then Utah will be at the end of the year. So basically 2024 for Utah. I think it goes into more detail about exactly what's in those laws. Admittedly, it kind of more takes a like, this is going to really suck for businesses because now there's this whole patchwork of laws that they have to tr- tr- try to figure out how to follow and how to enforce. And
0: which, uh, to be fair, is, you know, a fair complaint, but also boohoo, I don't care but also that it's things they should have been doing in the first place to protect their users. So I'm not yeah, actually right? that concerned about
1: most. It. Most of these laws are not really that extreme. Like, it's not like they're coming in and like, you can't harvest any data ever. It's more like, hey, actually consumers can sue you when you have a data breach. Really simple, basic stuff like that.
0: And also you have to have a way for users to see and download the data that yeah, you collected on that's, them. that's a lot of them have And they have that. to have a, a way to delete your account. Those yeah. are like normally what these things revolve around, and it's not asking for a lot. And just a lot of them also have like you like, have to have is, an
1: appointed data person that they submit these requests to. And yeah, it's it's really yeah. bare bones stuff. But oh, I'm so glad I got this story just because, you know, true crime nerd. I've, I've been loosely following this story with some of the true crime podcasts I listen to. So the headline says arrest in Idaho murders shows your DNA is not private or safe. For the record, this outlet is questionable, but I do think the point they raise is very valid. So late last year, there was a brutal four person murder in Moscow, Idaho. It was actually kind of big news. Like a lot of my coworkers, like at least knew what I was talking about. They've heard of this story. I think it was either like just before the new year, or just after they actually did arrest somebody and it was through dna evidence they found a suspect they went ahead and arrested him however just like with the golden state killer it it wasn't like his data was in a database he's actually he doesn't have a criminal record they found his dna through a relative and i think it was actually like a second cousin or something it was like somebody it wasn't like a, an immediate family member like a brother sister mother father it was like a a cousin or something the article just really kind of goes into detail about how right now all these dna tests for those of you who don't know and are just joining us all these dna tests like ancestry.com 23andme a lot of them have written in the terms of service that they will share your DNA. And a lot of them are doing it with pharmaceutical agencies. Big Pharma is really trying to get on, get in on the DNA business because then they can feed that into their supercomputers and they can run. I feel like I sound crazy, but I, I, I'm sure our listeners know that I'm not. They can feed it into their computers and they can make algorithms and they can basically like digitally test out different drugs before they actually start manufacturing them. So it saves them a lot of time, saves them a lot of money. It's very valuable data. They can study genetic disorders and other, you know, Does your DNA make you prone to this? But they also share it with law enforcement and law enforcement can access these databases and, you know, run tests and look for leads and stuff like that. Some of these services, I think, are starting to offer you the option to opt out of these, but that's a relatively recent development. Yeah, it's just something you got to be aware of. And also it's, in my opinion, it's particularly troubling because it's not even you, you know, like this guy never submitted. And I mean, for the record, he's a murderer. Screw that guy. Uh, He's an alleged murderer. But it's still the fact that it's like they never consented to this. You know, they, they never submitted their DNA. They never agreed to be in this system. I think I mentioned this before, not to like ramble too much, but my family has done, I think it was Ancestry.com, did the whole DNA test. I never did it, but like my immediate family has done it. So now my DNA is basically in there and I never consented to that. I never agreed to that. I never signed up for that. And it's just, it's really problematic and, and very gray area.
0: And that's basically what this article talks about. It's just something you guys should be aware of. Up next, Wall of Silence surrounds plan for nationwide collection of citizens' internet records. Quote, the government plans to create a national service through which authorities can search for and obtain citizens' internet connection records from communication firms. Public technology claims that there has been no announcement, rather an online procurement notice for bids to provide support with the migration of IT systems and development for a tool allowing authorities to search for information and filter results. Public technology reached out to the Home Office and National Crime Agency, plus the UK's 16 leading broadband providers and mobile network providers, which none of which replied to. Spooky stuff. I think transparency is always a good thing, regardless of your stances on things like this. So a little disappointing to see that. And our last political story comes from France who has fined
1: Apple for targeted app store ads without consent, quoting the article, France's Data Protection Authority, which I recently found out I think is actually pronounced CNIL, C-N-I-L. They have fined Apple 8 million euros, which is about eight and a half million US dollars for collecting user data for targeted advertising on the app store without requesting or securing the user's consent. Unquote. They ruled that this was a violation of Article 82 of the French Data Protection Act, which is basically copied from GDPR. Their argument was basically that the settle the setting to disable persistent identifiers that make it possible for Apple to profile users is set to enabled by default, and it's also somewhat hidden. And I actually had an iOS device, and then I didn't, and I got my hands on one again recently. And when I was going through and looking at the settings, I did notice that. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of like, it makes sense where it's at, but it's also like it doesn't pop up during the initial setup. It doesn't ask you anything about that. You have to go looking for it, and it's definitely not like right there on the first page. So... I I think they got a good point there, but
0: also I'm biased. Also, it's crazy how legal stuff is just so slow because it's already come out that if you, even if you toggle off that setting, Apple still collects persistent identifiers in the app store, regardless of whether you check it on or off. And so this doesn't even account for that. When I was reading this, I was like, wow, they moved really quickly. They're working against that issue already. And it's like, wait, no, this is like a very, 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 very old problem and even if you toggle it off, Apple doesn't actually change anything either. So I'm curious when we're going to start seeing fines for that issue, maybe in three years. And now we're going to move over into the FOSS, free and open source category. And there's only one story here, and it's pretty interesting. So there's a new Linux operating system called Vanilla OS, which offers a new take on security for the Linux desktop. This isn't necessarily an endorsement. We're just sharing news, as we always do. We still need more time to properly vet this and look into it. So this really is just whatever marketing's been pushed out. Pretty much, this is an immutable Ubuntu fork, which allows for other repos like DNF and using AB root, which allows for fully atomic transactions between two root partitions. In other words, updates only proceed once they've been verified and guaranteed to succeed, which is really neat. It also comes with other nifty user-friendly features like smart updates, where it's not going to update under heavy loads or low battery. And it should auto-update, but only on a weekly or monthly schedule, which is probably fine for the average person. So, this is very interesting. It reminds me a little bit of Fedora Silverblue, but Ubuntu based and with some different features and a different way of managing packages. I guess we'll see as more information comes out.
1: And last but not least, we're moving into Misfits, where again we have just one story. It says facial recognition tool led to mistaken arrest, lawyer says. So, a man from Georgia, I don't think I put this in the notes, but shocker, it's a black man, in case you guys didn't know. A man from Georgia was arrested for purse thefts that took place in Louisiana. He was arrested on November 25th and released on December 1st, which, real quick personal opinion, that is entirely too long to figure out that you've got the wrong guy, especially in light of all the information we're about to talk about. The man claims that he has never been to Louisiana before in his life, and there were obvious differences between the man, like the man who was arrested, and the suspect in the picture, like, for example, a 40-pound difference, and the man who was arrested has a mole that the suspect did not have. This happened before. We covered this on a previous surveillance report. There was, once again, a black man who was arrested based on facial recognition. I remember the article had, uh, this one didn't, if I remember correctly, but that article had like a side-by-side of like the security camera footage and the man they arrested. And it's like, bro, it should have taken two seconds to look at these, especially side-by-side to look at these pictures and be like, this isn't the same guy. Police have not responded to any requests for comment, including elaboration on what facial technician they used or what sort of safeguards exist around it. Quick soapbox for the record. Y'all know how I feel about taxpayer money and buying things that we're not allowed to know about. I think it's pretty crazy. So yeah, that's a thing. Facial recognition still has a very, very long way to go before we rely on it. And it's horrifying that the police do not seem to be taking two seconds to compare pictures and be like, whoops,
0: wrong guy. And now we're going to move over into the Q&A. We have three questions this week. The first one is from Ashley. And the question is, hey guys, I currently have files scattered across iCloud, Google Drive, K Drive, P cloud, and OneDrive. Wow, that's a lot of cloud providers to have things scattered around. So I hope you get that figured out, because that sounds really um, hard to manage. I feel overwhelmed with just, like, having things scattered on two accounts sometimes, so. The question is, what is the most privacy-respecting Linux-compatible cloud storage with auto-upload for photos? My main email is Proton, and I need Linux support as I daily drive Pop OS. I guess I'll start here. First, we've talked in the past, I think in a different Q&A, how we're like not happy with really any privacy-based cloud providers, let alone ones that are have good Linux support. Back then, we talked about Mega, and Mega does have a Linux client. I don't know how well it's supported on Pop! OS, but that's still an option to throw your way. Mega does have issues that we've covered in the past. It's not a perfect service, but I mean, it's better than a lot of the services you listed off that you're already using. And if you have a low-threat
1: model, I think Mega's probably reasonably acceptable for low-threat models.
0: Yeah, there are also web-based drive clients, but you said you need it to automatically sync, so that's not really an option. You can try to be patient and see if Proton actually releases a decent Proton drive thing, but I really just can't recommend anyone just be patient with Proton with anything they develop, because it takes them, like, years to use to have a usable exper- experience. The other thing, too, is I'm going to say something on my end that might be unpopular. If you're on Linux... You're signing yourself up for a more difficult time with really anything you're going to do. And I know the Linux community wants to fight back on that, like, all day, every day. But I think a lot of things are just more difficult on Linux. You're going to have less client. You're going to have less software compatibility with things. Not everything's like that, but a lot of things are. And this is one of those areas. I would really recommend something like a NAS. And that's why I think Linux is kind of like a slippery slope. Because now you're on Linux, and now it's like, well, I might as well just use NextCloud or, like, a NAS or something else that I also own and control. And before you know it, it's like a full-time job. To have stuff like this. It's not always like that, but just saying. Do you have anything that you're thinking about?
1: I'm actually kind of glad you said Nextcloud. When I switched computers here recently, I briefly tried out Silverblue and I really liked it. And one of the things I remember being really surprised by was how smoothly Nextcloud integrated into it. You know, if you go to, and Pop is the same way, if you go to your settings, somewhere in the settings, there's like an accounts section and you can add like Google, I think like Microsoft, And there's a couple other ones, but there's also Nextcloud. And it integrates so smoothly. Like your calendar will show up in the little built-in dropdown. uh, Your contacts will be there. Your file storage will be in its own little folder. It's actually really, really cool. But the issue there is uh, Nextcloud cannot be meaningfully end-to-end encrypted. It just, it can't. There is an end-to-end encryption app, but it sucks. It was abandoned like two years ago when it was still in alpha. Ideally, that would be my recommended solution is like you or someone you trust self-hosting in xcloud and that would integrate really really well Filein has a linux app i've seen some people criticize their encryption implementation in the past they have fixed it but just to kind of point out like they're also not perfect they've they've made some minor mistakes in the past there's not really any like great perfect options out there honestly probably like Filein or mega are going to give you the best bang for your buck right now okay our next question this might be a quick one this comes from Freddie mercury yet again Who asks, what phone OS are you or would you use as your daily driver? I'm going to answer that second part first because I think it's the quicker answer. I would use whatever you're comfortable with that is currently getting security updates. If you want to use iOS, that's up to you. If you want to use Android, that's up to you. Just make sure they're both currently getting security updates. If you want to use a custom OS, that's also up to you. I would recommend one where the bootloader locks personally. Just make sure it's getting security updates. Hey guys, uh, Nate from the future here. I am editing the podcast this weekend and I was going through that question and noticed that what I just said came out really wrong. So I wanted to clarify in a perfect world. Yes, everyone should strive for the most private and secure option out there, which in my opinion is a a custom Android OS, but not everyone has that option. For example, in a lot of parts of the world, I hear that pixels are extremely difficult to get a hold of, and they're also fairly expensive phones. So if you're in a situation where you cannot get your hands on one of those devices or you are currently locked into your current device because of, uh, you know, you're still paying it off or something like that, or also just some carriers lock your devices. I actually bought my iPhone in cash from the carrier and found out that I still have to have service for at least 12 months before they will unlock it and let me take it to another carrier, which is absolute garbage, but enough on that. So yeah, if you're in one of those situations, then I think that's okay. Just make sure it's a device that's still getting updated or even some people might prefer iOS, which I think is also a really good choice as long as it's current and you're not one of those people who's... Refusing to update from six versions ago because you don't want the scanning stuff, which by the way, never came to pass anyways. All that to say, like that came out wrong. Yes, please go for the most secure and private option that you have at your disposal that you are able to do. But if for some reason that is not an option for you, then I think the second most important thing would be whatever you go with, just make sure it's getting security updates. Personally, I'm currently using stock Android. So I have stock Android and stock iOS. That's so that I can test apps for the new oil and my reviews and stuff on the same environment that I recommend to my readers. My readers, I don't di- I don't dive into custom OSs at all. I like I do mention them. I say like, "Hey, these exist, but they're advanced. They fall way outside the scope of this website. Go check them out if you want more information. I'm not going to talk about them here." So, I stick to the stock OSs so that I can like make my reviews accurate and check like, "Okay, how does this work here? How does this work there?" That's the main reason. But yeah, I prefer Android-based operating systems just because they integrate with my workflow better. Like I have a pine time. I can control my podcasts, Spotify, everything from there. I can see text messages. I can see people calling me. It's just really nice. I like the open source thing. I think they have better apps for like podcasts and stuff. It just, it just integrates with my whole, like trying to be as open source as possible lifestyle better. So
0: on my end, what I would use if I was in, in, in different circumstances would probably be like Calyx OS. Cause that's like my favorite ROM. I've, I've never been happier with my like phone than I was with, like, Calyx OS. With that said, being on stock Android was really awesome as well. I really liked being on stock Android. I know we made that video that people were like, oh my god, so angry about because they couldn't watch a whole video and understand threat modeling well enough to understand, like, why I was using stock Android for a brief time. It's funny because I was only on st- stock Android for, like, a few weeks before I think Lockdown was released. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, perfect. This actually resolves, like, m- my core issue with, like, iPhones. And so I've been on an iPhone to last like three, four months now. With that said, my phone situation is always funny because I always have like just phones laying around for different things. And so it's kind of complicated to answer like what phone OS I'm using because like I think my daily driver is an iPhone, but like I'm always testing phones. I'm always doing things with phones. I always have a different ROM on phones. So it's really hard to like narrow down what I'm doing. I don't like iOS. I really don't. I'm using it out of like privacy and security for privacy and security reasons that are like specific to me, not to most people. But if I wasn't in that situation, I'd probably opt for like stock Android or Calyx because those are my two favorite ROMs that I really liked using. Either way, all I'll say is I'm with you. I much prefer being on Android overall. All right. The last question is from Timmy who asks, in regards to encrypted USB flash drives, are they truly secure? I'm reading this question for the first time right now, so I hope I have an answer to it. Are they truly secure? Is there difference in encryption between brands? That is to say, do different brands use proprietary algorithms and have these drives been pen tested? That being said, do you have any recommendations on which ones should be used and why? I think that you're asking about like USB drives that you purchase online that are pre-encrypted for you. Which I would ask why, because you can encrypt any drive by yourself as well. I'm not really familiar with lots of these proprietary USB drives. I'm sure like SanDisk probably has like an encrypted variant that I wouldn't be surprised that they charge more for. These aren't going to do anything that I know of that are special or unique that you can't do with your own flash drives. You can take any standard flash drive, you can encrypt it with something like Veracrypt, I believe. If not, there are other, I'm actually not familiar with other alternatives to encrypt flash drives but there are definitely options out there that you can do yourself
1: no you hit the nail on the head like that was kind of my first thought too is like i when i need which is very very rare but if i ever need an encrypted backup drive i literally just like go to best buy buy usually it's overpriced but i buy like a, a sand disc or something and then i just u- encrypt it using better encrypt. kevin mitnick in the art of invisibility he talks about i think it was simon who said they were using like yes you, you already know what I'm talking
0: about. I remember this Yeah, one, yeah. he uh,
1: he he has a bit where he talks about a uh, Symantec claimed they were using like I, remember this book was written in like the early 2000s I think or late 90s or something. They were selling an encryption that they said used like 50 bits of encryption or 51 bits. And when he like hacked into their servers and checked the source code, he found out they were only using like 30, which uh if you put that in like hashing terms, if it, I may not have done my math right, But I remember at one point I tried to like convert that into like how long would that take to crack a password? Like if you put it in those terms, it's literally the difference between like, I think it was like a couple, what is it? Like a couple hours versus a couple weeks or something like that. So, I mean, that just kind of permanently turned me off like proprietary, especially encryption. Like if you want to instill trust in people, it has to be open source so they can vet at least the security aspect of it so that people can vet it and examine it. Yeah. So these pre-encrypted ones, do different brands use different proprietary algorithms? Probably. Some of them probably don't, to be honest. Some of them probably just like they probably use like AS two fifty six and claim that it's like military grade encryption. Love those words. Have they been pen tested? Some of them probably against their will. I, I doubt any of them have actually paid for it, because honestly, they're not trying to target people like us. They're not trying to target people that know how to use Veracrypt and know how to use Lux and stuff like that. They're trying to target the over the counter consumer who needs help checking their email. So I doubt they've ever paid for any actual pen testing or auditing. Um yeah, and then like we said, I would just recommend just go buy a regular USB
0: stick and encrypt it with VeraCrypt or something. Just to recap, Billie Eilish got doxed. WhatsApp is helping users circumvent censorship, a brand new set of car hacks, an important update to quantum computers and encryption, and a lot more. Again, if you like our podcast, especially you people who eat at Five Guys who can apparently afford $17 meals for just a burger and fries consider supporting us on Patreon for, like, $10 a month. Like, if you eat at Five Guys twice, you can support us for, like, three months. (laughs) So, like, I don't know just something to think about there's also perks for you there as well you're not just giving away your money like we have perks for our patrons and we're gonna have some more perks coming soon and again if you join our patreon we just made a recent post so make sure to leave us feedback on those proposed tiers that's another thing we are proposing some new tiers soon most likely so keep an eye out on that and we'll be sending updates as that comes around and if you don't want to deal with any of that and you just want to send us some money along in a private way Monero is another option. We see your contributions. We just hit one of our like internal milestones for the amount of Monero that we received, So that's really awesome. So thank you, everyone who sends us some Monero. Like, that all really does add up. So thank you all very much. Thank you for listening to the surveillance reports. The final thing we want to ask everyone to do is to share the podcast around make sure you're subscribed and give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. Those ratings really help us reach new people and it just helps us see that like people care about what we do. And you can leave bad reviews too. That's fine. That's good feedback as well. And we also want privacy to reach as many people as possible. So make sure that you're helping by sharing the podcast with people, sharing a story or two that resonated with you or them is a good way of doing that. Thank you again for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week.